My name is Ephraim Jude with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and thank you for joining us for another teaching in the Feast series where we are talking about each of the Moedim, God's appointed times. On this teaching, we are talking about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. If we go to Leviticus chapter 23, where we have an overview of all of the appointed times, the instruction for the Day of Atonement begins at verse 26, where it says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls. And offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement. To make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on the same day shall be cut off from his people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. You shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening from evening until evening. You shall celebrate your Sabbath. Here we have the Day of Atonement, what is considered within Judaism as to be the most holy day of the year. As we describe all of the festivals and the holidays, we call them feasts to the Lord. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is not to be a feast. In fact, what we often have done to keep this holiday is to fast before the Lord. Some people have questioned, yes, it doesn't specifically say that we are to fast, however, Fasting is very applicable when it comes to afflicting one's souls. We take no pleasure in any of the things that we normally would do, even food, on that day so that we might set ourselves apart and afflict our souls to keep this holy day. It was very specific as far as the solemn rest that we are to take. There's the additional warning that if anyone does any kind of work whatsoever, that they'll be destroyed from among their people. That this is a day, as much as we look at any other Sabbath or high Sabbath associated with any other holy day, this one apparently appears to be even more so, more of a Sabbath, something to concentrate more on afflicting our souls as a solemn rest. Now, this holy day also had a great deal of um, ceremony in the altar service. If we go back several chapters in Leviticus to chapter 16, we have the additional instruction. The entire chapter of chapter 16 is talking about what Aaron, the high priest, and what the services to the altar were to be done on this day. It describes, I'm not going to go into every single um, uh, word for word what it says in these instructions, but what we basically have this is a series of sacrifices that are done for Aaron to do as the high priest that he was to give a sin offering, a sacrifice so that he could go in and enter into the holy place in the sanctuary. And this is the one time out of the year that someone could go behind the veil in the holy place to into the holy of holies and to make atonement upon the Ark of the Covenant. There would be a series of sacrifices in which we would take blood into that area and you would sprinkle, the high priest would sprinkle the blood before the Ark of the Testimony. 
and that there was a whole series of sacrifices that were done. There was also a sacrifice called the scapegoat sacrifice in which they would take two goats before the Lord and they would basically lay, um, they, they would cast lots upon the goats, one that was to be sacrificed and one that was taken out of the camp and set free into the wilderness by a fit man. And so there's all this ceremony that was taking place here. Now, this was a ceremony that was mainly done for the high priest to do. This wasn't for a common man to do. And all, many, much of it had to do with the sprinkling of blood and what it specifically says in Leviticus 16 at verse 20, that they were to, he was to make atonement for the holy place, the tabernacle, and for the altar. And that that's what this sprinkling of the blood was to be done. Now, when we take this holiday, and we don't, of course, celebrate this holiday, but when we keep it in our own personal lives, what we often do in our faith is to do a lot of self-reflection, especially in the case that we just came out of the month of Elul. We have the 10 days of awe between um, Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur, and that we are doing all of this self-reflection, and we, that idea kind of carries itself into Yom Kippur. However, there is something that we really need to point out about Yom Kippur itself. Yom Kippur was not a festival or was not a, a holy day for us to focus on ourselves. As much as it says we are to afflict our souls, the whole idea of atonement was always done in the altar service to, make a to, to put atonement upon those things. This obviously is the problem in our messianic movement is that we have many people who don't truly have an understanding of what atonement is. Before I go any further, I should also point this out. In the scripture, it is not called in the Hebrew Yom Kippur. It's actually called Yom HaKippurim, which means Day of Atonements. It's plural. It's not just one atonement that covers all things, but it's a series of atonements that are made. So what is this that is going on? Well, in our modern movement, we often will use, and also within mainstream Christianity as well, people will use the word atonement interchangeably with forgiveness or salvation, that the sacrifice of Yeshua has given us atonement. But in truth of fact, atonement has its in, an entirely different meaning biblically than forgiveness or salvation. See, atonement, the Hebrew word kippur means, or kafar in, the, in its root, means covering means a covering, something that is covered over something else. Well, what does that exactly mean? How do we, you know, we want to be covered by the blood of the lamb, that we are, are covered uh, in the shadow of his wings when we're talking about other scriptures that describe this. But when you think about a covering, this is how I relate it. I relate it in the same way that you would have clothing put on over yourself. We, this is obviously contrast the idea of forgiveness because if blood was put upon the altar and the Ark of the Covenant, those things, if those things need atonement, then that's completely different than us needing forgiveness for our sins. Because did the altar sin? Did the Ark of the Covenant sin that it would need atonement? No. See, what was, what's actually going on here is this, is that any of the interaction that Israel as a people had with the temple, with the tabernacle, was we would defile those things with our uncleanness. See, we're unclean. 
those things are holy, those things are pure, the, the, the pure, uh, the brazen altar and the um, uh, Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread, the menorah, those pure things that were made of gold and all of these fine materials. Those things didn't sin. Those things were pure and holy according to the Lord. But we ourselves, we are unclean. We come into the presence of those things and we make those things unclean by our presence. So this is why we need atonement. Atonement is like a spiritual clothing that is put on these things. Every time that we would come to Yom HaKippurim, Yom Kippur, the way I like to look at it is this. The atonement was put upon these holy things for the whole next year for all of the uncleanness that those things would come into contact with, such as us for every sacrifice, for, every, for the work of the priesthood, for all of those things. It's almost like, you know, in the spring we do spring cleaning. Well, here in the fall, what we're doing is we're actually having the change of clothes, so to speak, for these things. See, what do you do? Why do you wear clothes? Well, you put on your clothes and you go and you do work. Now, obviously, anything that you would come into contact with, dirt, uh, uh, in the process of, of whatever job that you have, your clothing would become dirty. But the clothing you wear is so that you protect your body, your person. Well, when you get done with that work, what you have to do is you have to change your clothes. The clothes have become dirty. They did its job. It protected you. But then what you have to do is change the clothing to continue that protection. Now, this is obviously assuming that if you were holy and pure and everything on the outside was what was unclean, well, then this is the need for the clothing to protect you. That's obviously not how it, we are. We all are unclean. We perspire. We create our own uncleanness. But when it comes to the elements of the tabernacle, those things were pure. And it's almost as if every single year, these items needed atonement. They needed to, to almost wash themselves clean and have a new uh, covering over them for all the work and the service they would do for the upcoming year. This is what I believe atonement to be. Spiritually, it is a covering, a protection. You could almost look at it as insurance as well. When God puts his atonement upon us, it protects us. It covers us spiritually. Now, we encounter sin on a day-to-day -day basis. That Without that atonement, that sin might be the cause of our death from one moment to the next at any point in time. A sin can be so bad that it can, the wages of sin are death. We sin every day, so why do we not die every day? Well, I believe that to be because of the atonement that we have. It's a spiritual insurance or a protection that God puts upon us. This was a very important thing to do in the tabernacle. These things were holy to the Lord. And whatever the Lord has declared to be holy, it shall be holy. And we are not to defile those things. This is actually how we're to look at ourselves as well. When we were created by the Lord, when he comes to serve us, we are not to, we have to keep ourselves pure. The whole purpose of the book of Leviticus is to teach us to remain holy as he is holy. That's what, that, that's, that's what we are to do. And so that's why the commandments teach us to keep ourselves clean. That's why they're all about cleanness and uncleanliness and, and, and how to don't eat this, don't touch this, don't do this because you'll be unclean for this time. The whole idea is we are holy. God made us to be holy, and it's our job to stay that way, to keep ourselves that way. This was a day that was, there was a lot of trepidation in the service of this, uh, of the tabernacle. Like I said, the high priest did a lot of the work and did all of these services. 
the high priest got to wear all of his beautiful garments in everyday service of the tabernacle. In fact, one of the elements of his wardrobe was the blue robe that at the bottom had bells hanging off of it. And it specifically says in the instructions back in Exodus about those bells was that when the high priest approached the Ark of the Covenant, God would hear the ringing of the bells to know it was the high priest that was approaching as to not strike him dead upon somebody coming too close or too near to his presence. Well, in the service of the Day of Atonement, as it describes in uh, Leviticus 16, the high priest was to take off that garment and put on pure white linen robes as the rest of the priests did. And so he did not wear that same garment that was its exact purpose was to be able to enter into the presence of God without God striking him dead. So then this obviously became a service that might have been uh, very fearful to do as the high priest. In fact, in ancient times, what they said they did in the service was that they would tie a rope to the ankle of the high priest, that he would go in and he would do this work. If he messed up in any way and if God striked him dead, there wasn't going to be any priest that was going to go in after him. What they were instead going to do is, if something were to happen, they'd pull him out by the rope and then as to not go into the presence of God should any of the service go awry. This obviously it comes, this is some of those traditions and things that the priests did in the service of the tabernacle that it doesn't specifically say that they were to do that, but they obviously were given the charge to take care of the elements of the tabernacle. Now, once again, though, the parallel to the work of the Messiah parallels some of the work of the altar service during this time as well. If we look at the scapegoat and the where lots were cast upon one goat to be sacrificed and one to be set free, we compare this in the Messianic movement, of course, with the story of Yeshua and Barabbas, where that it was, it was laid before the people to choose one to go free and one to be crucified. And of course, it was the Messiah himself that was crucified in this process. And he was taken also by a fit man to the place. This is the role of the centurion at the base of the cross to win where he was crucified. So there's an ama amazing parallels to the work of Yeshua and to the uh, works and the, of the altar service for this particular holy day. So once again, for us, we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that this is all about uh, what Yeshua has done for us, that he has provided atonement for us, and that we should focus on Yom Kippur not as another day of self-reflection, but as an understanding of that God is protecting all of Israel and that he is putting an atonement upon the services of the temple, the tabernacle, to protect from the uncleanness of the entire nation not just for us individually. We should take the time in the 10 days of awe, in the month of Elul, to do all of that self-reflection. But on the Day of Atonement, we must humble ourselves, humble up, and to never look and think very, any, selfishly in any way, shape, or form on this day. Yes, we are to afflict our souls and to set ourselves completely aside for the work of the Lord. Because prophetically, what this day also represents is the day of judgment, the day in which the, the day of the Lord will come, in which the Lord will enact judgment upon the world. And what we also want to do is we never want to rejoice. We never want to celebrate in the day of judgment. Even if we find ourselves on the side of the Lord 
not receiving eternal judgment, we still should not rejoice or celebrate in the judgment of others. So that's why we are to afflict our soul. Now, there's a traditional passage that is taught during the Day of Atonement on, at services and teachings, and it is Isaiah chapter 58. This is the chapter where it talks about fasting. It talks about what a fast, what an appropriate fast before the Lord should be. Now, because this is a day that has become a day of fasting, this is why uh, this passage is, of course, taught. So if you would, go ahead and join with me, turning to Isaiah 58, and let's talk a little bit about what an appropriate fast before the Lord should be. It says this, Isaiah 58, starting at verse 1, Cry aloud and spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell, your, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation, they did righteous, righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. And exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with a fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day, you to make your voice heard on high. It is a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul. Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bond of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard, and you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, if your, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath the delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor seeking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 58. This is the passage that says what an acceptable fast before the Lord should be, specifically on Yom Kippur. The Messiah himself also said back in Matthew chapter 6, and he said that when you fast, don't appear to be fasting. 
And he's conveying the same language that is being said here. Whenever we are fasting, we're afflicting our soul. Whenever you say that, if all you ever talk about is the fact that you're, you are fasting. Oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, I haven't eaten any food today. I haven't drinking any, drank any water today. So woe is me. That is not an acceptable fast before the Lord. To put on sackcloth and ashes and, to, and to, to have nobody come, don't come near me because I'm fasting. And you make it this show of you fasting before the Lord. Isaiah 58 spells this out very clearly. That is not an acceptable fast before the Lord. If you spend the day of your fast only talking about what you're going to have for dinner to break the fast, then you are not doing an appropriate fast before the Lord. It says very specifically that it says what you should do, the fast that he has chosen, is one in which you loose the bonds of wickedness, that you feed the hungry, that you let the oppressed go free, that when we fast, we fast for contention, as if like that we should fast because, oh, this... I sinned against this person, that sin person sinned against me, and so I hope that they're doing a good fast too because I'm fasting because of our conflict with one another. That thought crosses many people's minds about when Yom Kippur has come around. Oh, I better, I better think about what I did to somebody, and somebody better think about what they did to me. That's not what we should. We shouldn't be talking about strife or worrying about the contention that we have between us. Why are we not doing good on this day? I've heard it said once as a great piece of advice. Take whatever food you might have eaten on that day and give it to somebody who's hungry. Whatever you would have eaten for that day, whether that would have been a full meal or three full square, square meals, why wouldn't you take the money that you would buy for that food or that food itself and why would you not then give that to somebody who is hungry? That according to Isaiah 58, is an acceptable fast before the Lord. Because when you do those things, then the Lord will strengthen you. Then the Lord will give you what you need in the day that you need it. You sit there and you set aside the need for food and nourishment, and you do so in all cases to then be spiritually nourished because of your focus upon the Lord. And this is what it is to afflict one's soul, to die unto yourself, to do the good work the good uh, of the good news, the gospel, to then feed the hungry, to help those that are in need, to clothe the naked, to do those things. That is how you afflict your soul, is to die unto yourself. This is what we should focus in the day of our fast. Now, in Yom Kippur, of course, we are afflicting our soul. We have all of these things to keep in mind. But remember that the Messiah himself said, it is not wrong to do good on the Sabbath. It is not to heal somebody in, in all those things that, that there is the, the sake of life trumps all commandments that we, you shall live by these things. This is what a true Sabbath should be. And this is what Yom Kippur sets the bar for what a Sabbath truly can be and should be. When you set aside your delight, anything that you would delight in that you, you take a break from seeking your own pleasures and that you look, but, it, but however the, Sabbath is still to be a delight to you because you're drawing closer to the Father, because you are celebrating his appointed time, the day in which he has made himself available to come and be with you. That's what all of the appointed times are all about. <clears throat> this is my hope and my prayer, is that when we fast, when we afflict our souls, whatever thing you do on Yom Kippur, one, 
We should never pass any judgment upon what one person does on Yom Kippur or not, because this is not to be about contention. Absolutely not. We are to focus beyond ourselves, though. It should not be a, a fast of selfishness for ourselves. The other thing, too, you should never do is tie that fast into every, any other fast. If you're in the midst of a seven-day cleanse or a, or a 40-day fast, you are not to tack that on before or after any other fast because you, when you keep the commandment of afflicting your soul for Yom Kippur, it is not to be earmarked for anything else or attached to anything else. That is how you keep that holy day. But when it comes to fasting in general, we have to remember to, uh, yes, afflict our souls and put our focus back on the Lord. Why else would we set aside our pleasures? But remember, don't appear to be fasting. Don't stand and say, woe is me, I'm fasting before the Lord at this time, and I have chosen to make myself miserable so that I can become closer to God. That is not appropriate. That's not appropriate to say. That's not appropriate to act. Always make sure your heart is clean and pure before the Lord, because that's what we're talking about here. Cleanliness. Be, having us be clean and holy before the Lord. This is the time in which God is changing the atonement. He's changing the clothes and the covering. The covering has been there for the year from Yom Kippur to Yom Kippur. It started last year, and that atonement was there upon the holy things of the Lord. And now it's time for the Lord to bring his atonement back upon, to renew it, to make it new, to make it fresh, to protect from the unclean things. This should be a time for us to understand that we now have a new, we have a new lease on life. Look, if we, in the prophetic fulfillment of Yom Kippur, after the day of judgment, and then we come and we find ourselves in the kingdom, what we will have is we will have a whole new lease on life at that point in time. We've had our name found and inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we will dwell with the Lord in the kingdom. Every Yom Kippur that comes by that the Lord doesn't return, we still should have the same renewed spirit. We should have the same spirit that has been renewed, made alive again to know that the Lord is watching over us, protecting us, and he has poured out his atonement upon us. Thank the Lord for, for the relationship he desires to have with us. And all of these holidays all point to God and his presence with us and who we are to be to him, which is a holy people, that we are to obey him if we love him. And keep his commandments. And those commandments, some of the ones that seem to be the ones that we either focus on first when people come new into the faith, some of the first things we learn how to do is keep Sabbath and keep the holidays. And we want to encourage you in that walk and in that step to continue to follow after the appointed times to join with the Lord and be in the presence of God. We all desire to be in the presence of God. So he says at certain times of the year, we get to be in his presence. And so the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonements, is about us being clean to once again come in to that presence that we have. What a blessing that it is. And we should look positively on Yom Kippur, on what truly God is doing for us. Even though we might look forward, we should never look forward to it and say, man, that's the day we have to fast. I don't get to eat anything that day. That is not an appropriate way to look at Yom Kippur. Look at it as one of the, as the most holy day of the year and as a day for which God gives us another one of his amazing blessings that he gives to us 
We don't know why he, he works in mysterious ways, but God has desired to give us this atonement and this covering for us to have this relationship and be in his presence. And that is a blessing to be had, and that is what this day represents. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time, for all of your appointed times, and we thank you for the day of Yom Kippur. Father, we thank you for your atonement and your covering and your protection that you give to us. We thank you for watching over us. Father, I pray that you would keep us pure, keep us clean, Lord. Though we sin constantly, Lord, though there are many things that make us unclean. Father, I pray that we would take these commandments to heart to remain clean and holy as you have made us to be. And that, Father, you, your atonement is, is everlasting, Lord, upon us. And may we receive it graciously. May we understand what it is. And, Father, may we continue to look to you in all things. Father, when we fast before you, when we afflict our souls, Father, may it be an appropriate fast before you. May it be right. May we look inward at our hearts to make sure our hearts are in the right place and that we are doing so righteously and appropriately. Father, I pray that we would always never miss an opportunity to feed those who are hungry, to clothe clothe those who are in need of clothing, Father, and to watch over and to take care of the widow and orphan that is before us. Because, Father, you said that though we do that to those things to them, we did so also to you. So, Father, may we always show blessing and favor to you. And when we do this, Father, as you say in your prophet, Lord, as he said, that we would be like a watered garden whose waters do not fail, that we would uh, be blessed and strengthened in everything that we do. So, Father, I pray that we take those words to heart, Lord, strengthen us in our most holy faith so that we can continue to minister to your people, to your brethren, until your kingdom come. So, Father, we pray all these things and pray your will be done in all things. We bless you and thank you. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise in this place. It's in your Son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Shalom. Thank you.